Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are now listening to Footy Prime, the podcast hosted by Danny DiCchio, Craig Forrest, and James Sharman. Episode 11, everyone. Hello and welcome once again to Footy Prime. Shaman, Dickio, and Forrest here with you. Um, before we get started, please follow us and subscribe to us on all the social platforms, be it Twitter, which is footy underscore prime, Facebook, Instagram, Footy Prime, the podcast, uh, YouTube, check us out. You can see our ugly mugs every week as well. And, uh, you know, we're getting there, fellas, slowly but surely. We're making a difference to the people. <laughs> so you say, Sean. So, so I you say. say. Well, listen, boys and girls, it's been uh, another great weekend of football. Uh, today's theme, I think, will be emotion. And we'll get into that a little bit later today. But uh, Duncan Ferguson, uh, I think, epitomizing the term emotion. And when I mention that name, Craig here kind of cringes because of those, <laughs> uh, those battles he had. The over elbows the elbows he had in the back of the head from Big Bang. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But show, up with, a, show up at Goodison Park and he was on the team sheet. It was like, oh, no, you know you're going to get an elbow left on you. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start today, though, uh, stepping into room 442. I'm really excited about our chat today with, with someone I've listened to and watched for, for many years, be it on the BBC or on um, Premier League TV. Uh, really well known in the uh, UK garage scene, um, or is it garage scene? As we're in Canada here, we should perhaps mention it here. He's appeared on The Question of Sport, Strictly Come Dancing. DJ Spoonie joins us. Spoonie, how you doing, mate? Good afternoon from here. Good morning there, whatever it is. It's early enough. It's about what? We're taping about 11 o'clock or so 10 o'clock or thereabouts. It's early enough. Um, so listen, I, I want to start off here. You and, you and Dietje go way, way, way back, not to age you both, Um <laughs> Way back. Was Deech the best footballer DJ you've ever encountered? <laughs> wow. That's a big question to start the interview, huh, Shams? Um, Deech was a footballer DJ. I think the first ever one was a guy called Paul Cannaville who played for Chelsea, but mm. it was a little bit before our time. But Deech and another dear friend of ours, uh, Bruce Dyer, Bruce, they yeah. were the main R&B and garage football DJs. Who was the better one? I mean, Bruce is most probably not listening, so yeah, Deech is way better. <laughs> way better. Oh, Danny, Danny done me such uh, such a favour once upon a time. I know this is not football chat, but just to give the context of our friendship and how far we go back, um, Danny was one of the first people I knew that owned the A4 convertible Audi when they came out. Ooh, right, that was a nice yeah. He had a green one and. Things had gone well in his life. Then he upgraded his car. And what he did, <laughs> he sold me his convertible A4, but he allowed me to pay him in installments. <laughs> this was going back to like 1998. And I've never forgotten that. Dude, so you absolutely yeah. Are you still paying those installments? <laughs> Coming on the show as part of it. Yeah. This is the last instalment. <laughs> Spoon's coming. Is that what it is? But no, we had to, we had some good days back then. I mean, Spoon's was a, a good friend from the early days, from when we were starting DJing on on the circuit. Me and Bruce, we had our own little uh, night down in Covent Garden. Actually, we, that was come up in our conversation this morning with Dan Wong, who's just been over in London, and we had a a, a night called the Players Lounge. And myself, Trevor Sinclair, Bruce came down a couple of times as well, and it was only a small. 
club bar that we had in Covent Garden where it was a, a really good time for either players that were playing in London at the time or just our our, our usual bunch of friends or social circles Hello? would come down. Can you hear us, Spoons? Hello? Can you hear us here? Oh, we yeah, I got you. Oh, there we, we go. There we go. Okay. I'm just I'm just talking about our our night that we used to have down in in Covent Garden Spoons, uh, the players' lounge at Com- uh, the spot down in Covent Garden that we had back in the day. That was probably our first interaction with all the players that were into music and kind of on that social scene back then. It's fantastic. I mean, we were influencers and social social media savvy before it was even invented. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I still had my hair as well, Spoons. <laughs> uh, that's how long t- that's how long ago it was. Hey, it wasn't that long ago. Deets actually said, "Why did I? You know, if I was going to take anything back, I, I spent too much money on cars, <laughs> cars and music. That's what I spent turntables and stuff. Then. Yeah, yeah. Well, well Spoonie, I mean, how did you get into football? Obviously, your, your your roots are in in music. Was it that era that you got into football and into that world? No, I mean, if I'm completely honest, I was into football before I was into music. I remember myself running around the playground pretending I played for Liverpool. Um, shouting out all the Liverpool players as I dribbled around everyone and tapped it into an open net in the play. <laughs> so, you know, I was into football, but what, my, you know, being on, on radio allowed me to do, even when I was on pirate radio, was just talk about football as a passion. And when I started doing that on Radio 1, um, the boss of Five Live heard um, heard me talking about the football, knew that I had some friends in the, in, in the game, and then they offered me uh, a slot on 606, which I ended up doing for seven years so you know it was then like Spoonie synonymous with football and music but really football and especially my love of of Liverpool came way before that what do you think about Liverpool at the moment that it's uh it's theirs to lose isn't it yeah I mean mm-hmm. uh what I think about Liverpool at the moment is is Jurgen Klopp what mm-hmm. he's done with that I'm not even going to say with the squad of players what he's done with the club he's just he's turned it around and I think if he if he goes on to win the Premier League this year, um, that we have to talk about him in the terms of our great managers. I'm not going to say he's been as great as, as Shankly or as, as Bob Paisley, but he has to be in that conversation because mm-hmm. of the time and the era and where he's taken the the team and the squad from and the fact that we're competing in a competition with a side that I actually regard as the greatest ever Premier League team in Manchester City. Probably the, the, one of the greatest ever coaches to turn around a club in Pep Guardiola as well, Spoons. But I just want to carry on with the Liverpool conversation and and give a lot of props to Jurgen Klopp and and what he has done because Liverpool have been searching for a a head coach, a manager for a long, long time now to install this this behaviour, this way of playing because we we can all go back to the 80s where I I actually hated Liverpool in the 80s because they won everything. And being a QPR (laughs) fan, I was like, devastated week in week out when Liverpool played such beautiful football but it was so consistent but uh, and it was just a win after win and they picked up everything and then you go to the 90s and Man United were kind of similar but I actually love watching Liverpool play now but do you think this Jurgen Klopp era is going to last for a long long time and do you think it's going to be another dynasty which we're talking about in years to come? I think what's going to be important is how long he stays and has the appetite for the job. Working with the intensity that he does yeah. would be an absolute strain physically and mentally. Um, you know, he's 60 years old. So he's not like he's, he's, he's a youngster. I I think he will, if Liverpool win the league this year, I think he'll stay on at least another year and go from there. And then it's a case of, does the club start to identify who the next manager might be which fits in with the playing style of the players that we've already acquired that are at the club. Now, that's so important, and I think that's where a lot of football clubs go wrong. So whoever whoever that person is, can they play that style of football? Can he then keep that squad together? Now, bearing in mind, you know, Alisson is is relatively relatively young for a goalkeeper. Joe Gomez is relatively young. Andrew Andrew Robertson is. Uh, Trent Alexander's young. Cater's young. Um, Salah and Mane are quite young. Oxlade Chamberlain's quite young. So you know Curtis Jones is just coming through now. Um, so when you look at the, the core of that team, you can say if they can keep, whether it be Jurgen Klopp or whoever comes in, can keep that squad together for three or four years 
and then sign one or two other players who will be looking and going, I love what they're doing. I love how they play. I want to go and play for that club. Then, 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 who knows? Well, the 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 thing is as well, spoons is it's not only the the manager, the head coach that can keep up that that as you say that that, that pressure, that that competitive side, and the way he coaches, the way he demonstrates himself on the sideline. But it's also the players hearing the same message week in, week out, month in, month out. Yep. Can they keep the momentum? And sometimes when things start to go bad. You know what it's like. Players start turning a deaf ear on things, but I, th- I just think he, he he coaches and manages with so much emotion that the players, if they buy into it, I, I really don't think no one can beat them this year. I really, I really think it could be an invincible year from from this group. Spoonie, what yeah. do you think about the? You know, in your opinion, I certainly think that it's the most competitive we've ever seen in the Premier League. And in the modern day, when we see the amount of teams and the amount of money and the opportunities for teams to really challenge and, and continue to do that, being at the top of the tree and staying at the top of the tree is very difficult. Would you agree? Well, so if you think Manchester City had 100 points, then 98 points. Liverpool came second with 90. 97 points, which had only been beaten twice before, which was by Man City the two <laughs> years, including that year. That's the level um, that you're up in. When I when we talk about competitive from top to bottom, that I mean, we just saw this weekend. I mean, no one would have predicted Manchester United would have beaten Manchester City. OK, it was a derby game. But what about Everton and yeah. Chelsea? Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at Sheffield United, how high in the Premier League they are this season, what an unbelievable season they are having. Wolves kind of came into the Premier League last year as an unknown quantity. And any week, these teams can beat... Anyone could beat anyone. Last year, Newcastle was struggling and they beat Manchester City. So it is so competitive. And that's why when I was earlier, I spoke about the intensity levels. It's not like La Liga or Syria. Sorry, Dan, we talked about <laughs> Italy. But, you know, when you look at the top sides, that 80% of the teams, they're going to beat most weeks. In the Premier League, I don't think Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp can ever take their mind off the game, you know, two weeks ago, Liverpool played Brighton. What a tough game that was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this was the first game in 12, 13 games Liverpool have kept a clean sheet. Yeah. And, and that's why, so, you know, it was it was nice to enjoy the game this weekend because it wasn't that, that close, really, you know, in the game scheme of things. But it's funny, uh, Spoon, you know, we're about the same age. Uh, you're from the South, I'm from the South. Uh, we both, I guess, fell in love with this team. While Deitch hated Liverpool, we loved yep. Liverpool in, in the 80s. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to say something controversial now, but Champions League was wonderful last year. I really enjoyed it. Obviously, a huge game coming up. That they've got to get something out of the next result to advance. I don't care about the Champions League this year. Really? I just don't care. It's all about the Premier League. <laughs> you and, take and, the title and over another Champions League. Well, 100% I would. And, interesting. You know, I'm, I'm interested, Spunia, as a fan as well of, of this team. Isn't it the Premier League or bust now? It's been just too, too long. I um, It's going to be the first time you ever hear me say this on record, but I'm... I'm agreeing with you. If there's going to be a strain on our squad that, listen, I would love us to do the double, but if I can only have one, then I don't mind getting knocked out of the Champions League on Tuesday and going to win the Premier League title because, you know, I went to... Yeah, I was at the last final when we lost to Madrid. I was there in uh, in Madrid uh, for this final when we beat Tottenham. I went to Athens when we, when we lost to AC Milan in the second game. So I've got those... Champion League miles under my belt, but <laughs> what I haven't seen in in a very long time, thirty years, is us lift that lift that top flight trophy. So, from where we are now, it's something that we've got to go and do. We've got to go and finish. I think everyone in that squad, Dan, you asked a question about buying into what the manager's done. We lost one game last season, yeah. so I think whatever any of those players thought they knew about football, you now have to listen to the manager. Yeah, I think I think what's in, what's most impressive as well, Spoon. Sorry to interrupt you there. Is just in the past week as well the, the rotation of the squad. He, he keeps everyone guessing. I mean, I think midweek on Wednesday he made seven changes, and then this weekend it was another five changes with Shakiri coming in, who's been out of out of the yeah. thoughts of of Klopp for the last. I don't know. I, I can't even remember when Shakiri played last, but everyone comes yeah. onto the field. There's no change in the performance as well. You know, it's just everything sinks really nicely. Everyone comes in. They know the work rate which they have to apply. They know the 
intensity that they play at with and without the ball and it's just a continuation and, and that is very, very difficult for any coach to manage 12 to 21 in the squad and keep them happy but yeah. to keep them on rotation and then performing at a high standard as well you've got to give a lot of credit to Klopp and his staff not just Klopp but and his staff as well yeah. Well I think I think as you know better than anyone Danny this, this is what happens on Monday 10 o'clock when training starts you can't just expect to play that at 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon they, they are being drilled every single day so everyone that comes into that squad knows exactly what's expected of them. I mean, everyone was saying, you know, last season, start of this season, yeah, it's okay for Liverpool, but if they suffer an injury to any of that top three, yeah. they're going to struggle. Jürgen Klopp's got one better than that. He said, well, they are fit. I'm just going to let them rest. <laughs> and look what and look what they've done. I mean, Liverpool have had 19 outfield players start this season. That's crazy. And 16 of those 19 have scored. <laughs> Well, hmm. well that's, a, that's a great stat. Yeah. Who who do you think the biggest challenger is? Do you think we we haven't mentioned Leicester this morning? <laughs> We're all dismissing them yeah. right once again. Brendan Rodgers, great, you know, obviously a great manager. He's turned you know things in upside down there. Um, fantastic. Vardy's on fire. They're playing exhilarating football, and you could arguably say, and what your opinion is on it, that they are a better side than the side that won the champ the actual title. They are. I, I don't think that's in question. I've I've said that on air before. They are a better team. I think when they won the title, it was just a perfect storm of other big teams around them not really being quite up to speed and internal politics. And they just sort of went unnoticed. And by the time anyone did notice them, it was too late. Um, but I think they have got a fantastic squad. I think Brendan Rodgers' decision to leave Celtic on the verge of a historic treble-treble um, was vindicated. I think he looked at the project and was like, this is a brilliant crop of young players. Um, they've got a very stable board. And any manager going in, you're going to want to know, well, I'm going to get time uh, to, 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 to groom the team. I'm going to get time to bring in who I want. I'm going to get support from, from upstairs. And the playing staff that's already in situ um, are, are very good. And if you look at that Leicester squad, and you, you actually consider that the biggest transfer in the Premier League this summer, Leicester lost a player for £80 million. You wouldn't look at them and think, <laughs> wow, they've lost their top player by any stretch of the imagination. He's got Jamie Vardy playing as good as he's ever played mm. at 30 years old. He's got him playing in an area of the pitch now which is deadly. No channels. He's staying in the width of the box. So every time he gets the ball, he's in a zone to shoot and to score. And I mean, you know, the last player to score... In eight Premier League games in a row, who was it? Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy. Yeah, so he's got sixteen this year. No, he, well, I mean, he's got he scored eight Premier League games on the spin. But he's and got sixteen in total this year, is he? Yeah, he's tops with. In all competitions, yeah. he's, he's got sixteen. So again, yeah. for the manager Before to Christmas. come in and say to say to Jamie Vardy, "Look, I want you to start playing like this." Jamie Vardy would have looked at him sideways, but I bet now we're buying him a bottle of wine after every game. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if you're Gareth Southgate right now, I know Vardy stepped aside. He didn't retire per se, but he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to just um, make myself unavailable for selection for England. If you're Gareth Southgate, yeah. you've got to be on the phone, haven't you? I mean, think about Vardy coming off the bench, you know, in that type of role in a close game at the Euros coming up. I mean, surely you have to do all you can to get this guy back in the white. If I'm if I'm Gareth Southgate, absolutely I am. If I'm Jamie Vardy, I'm not sure at this age of my career. If I'm Brendan Rodgers, I'm going to have a conversation with him like uh, Sir Alex Ferguson did with Paul Scholes. Because he's going to say to him, look, you're going to go to England. Harry Kane is going to be the main man in that position that you play. So that five, six, eight, nine, ten days, why don't you just go to Dubai or go to Mallorca or go to Spain and have a few <laughs> days off? and just chill out, come back and smash it in the Premier League. And, you know, when you get to the age that Jamie Vardy's at, that might mean and might be more of an attraction. He's, he's done the England thing. He's never going to be England's main man. I think it's all, gonna, man. it's all going to be down to one person, and that's Vardy himself. Not Rebecca? Absolutely. No, not Rebecca. 
Well, maybe a little bit, but um, it's going to be down to Vardy himself because at the end of the day, you can have so many coaches telling you to do this, do that. You can have the England coach telling you, you can have Brendan Rodgers, but at the end of the day, it goes down to how proud he is to represent his country and how needy the country are of him in going into a major tournament in the summer. And I think with the way he's playing, I believe the way he's playing, he adds a different option to England. He's a different type of player than Kane. Is he similar to Rashford? Mm, a little bit. He's pacey. I think Rashford is a better dribbler with a ball. But Vardy is a guy that if you're under pressure in the second half of a game, especially internationally, he can hit other teams' defences on the counter very effectively. I think if you look if you look at the way that England play or the two main ways that they can play, if they play 4-3-3, he's not going to play in one of those wide positions next to Kane ahead of Sancho or Sterling. Yeah. Um, or Rashford, and Rashford might play from the wide because he's been playing from the left for Manchester United and been playing really well. So you might have Rashford on the on the left cutting in and Sterling on the right. Or to be honest with you, they can alternate. He's not going to play in one of those two positions. If they play 4-2-3-1, he's not going to play as the one because Kane's going to play at that one. And then he's more likely to play a James Madison or a typical number 10 in that position. So I think there's lots of bodies for Jamie Vardy to climb over before he's going to... Yeah. start for England and then it's just going to boil down to would I rather have that time off as a break bearing in mind his age it's mm. a perfect opportunity for him to recuperate and then be 100% fit for Leicester City because he's mm. going to look at it and go you know I can fire this help fire this side to a top two top three finish play Champions, Champions League, League again yeah next season finish the season with a golden boot maybe knock on the door of another Premier League title that's most probably going to be more attractive than going along to England, knowing the chances are I'm not going to start anyway. True. Spoons, I just want to change the conversation um, yeah. to an unfortunate incident that happened again in England. And we, we've been looking at other countries um, internationally yeah. and at club level as well and saying they're doing things wrong. But for me, it's still uh, an epidemic that's, that's really close to home. And we saw... The racism come out again at the Man United-Man City game. We had Trevor Sinclair on a couple of weeks ago as well and saying it's still very, very, very um, high in in the, the yeah. grounds in, in England as well. What do you think? Like, What do you feel we need to do a better job of, especially close to home? We, we keep talking about banning these other international yeah. teams because mm -hmm. they're showing racism or they're not doing enough to stop it but I still feel there's an undercurrent of racism uh, in our own grounds in England I mean what what I would say without putting too fine a point in it Dan is that we I don't think you get whole stands yep. chanting racist abuse I think it there are individuals that do that and as long as those individuals are punished and punished severely that's as much as you can do you can't get a club um, you, you can't get a club completely stamping it out because you can't legislate for what one person, what an individual or two people might do. And it's very different to when we're talking about federations, international federations, where you've got a stand and they've got flags and banners and the whole stand is booing a, a black player. Yeah. Um, that is wrong. And that is when you can hold the federations or the clubs accountable. Um you, in, in Italy the other day when they had Chris Smalling and Mario Balotelli on the front of the paper and it said Black Friday, yeah. like, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get that in England. Like, you wouldn't get that in England. But will you get an individual on the terraces? Absolutely, you would. So what you do, you just be severe with them. I mean, maybe, and, and I don't know why this would not be the case, but they should make that criminal. And if people were, if people had a criminal record for racist abuse in the way that if you spoke to a policeman like that or if you said yep. something gay or homophobic in the workplace you would you could get you could go to court and get criminal uh, a criminal record for for, for 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 race hate so that's what they need to do forget the whole thing of banning for the season and banning for two season let them go to court let them feel the shame then let anyone else who's watching thinking what might happen you go nah it's not only is it not worth it, it's wrong to do it anyway, but there is a severe enough penalty there that I'm not going to consider doing that. In the big picture of things, uh, Spoonie, what do you, um, 
from a FIFA international standpoint, yeah, I believe they need to do more um, against it um, to stand up. There's been some great uh, campaigns, obviously, in England as well, the anti-racism campaigns. But from a governing body standpoint, I feel, I feel FIFA need to do much more um, to combat it yeah. because we know that football has a profound effect culturally um, by doing the right things. And uh, by them doing the right thing or, or more, I think it would have a, a more profound effect. I mean, fo- football is very tribal. So it's, you mm. know, it's us against them. We're, we're this and you're that. And I get that to a point. But when it then goes into where you're going to start abusing someone because of their their race, uh, well, not their race, but their, you know, their, their ethnic background or their sexual orientation, then that's when we need to, we need to stand that out. What FIFA should do is hit those federations where it, where it hurts and ultimately it's money and i don't mean fining them i mean taking them out of a competition because mm. ultimately that's how they generate their money finding an in uh, you know a federation five thousand euros or yeah, ten thousand euros when the players that are playing for them might earn a hundred thousand a week what's the point it's not gonna it's not gonna stop anything whereas like i said if i only got a 10 pound fine for speeding I most probably would speed a lot more than I do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, you know Spinny, last week at UEFA announced they will be um, trying to get more diversity on their various committees to, to address this. Um, but it seems to me that's only because they're now under pressure. They've had so long to do something about this, and they haven't done anything about it. Is this just a, you know, a reactionary decision by UEFA, or are you hopeful that there's more to it than just that? Well, listen, history will dictate that, you know, necessity breeds invention like no other. And if it's just because it's really bad, that's why they're doing it, then it's better late than never. If it means that our children don't never have to suffer it, then that's progress. Um, Slow, but it's progress nonetheless. Maybe they should have done it before. I think it's 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 really important that governing bodies are diverse, that they have people from cross-section of society because everyone loves the game and whether they be black white italian indian straight gay any of any of those nominations you need to have that reflected because who's going to who's going to consider people who's going to consider those different sections when there is an issue one, um, one thing that I don't I don't see uh, diversity in, uh, if we're going to keep on this subject, is is in coaching. Uh, where where are the black coaches? Of, it doesn't represent the percentage of players. Um, yeah. It's it's I don't know how many are in the all the ninety two clubs at the moment. Four or five, maybe at the most. Yeah, at the most. I you know, that's that's unfortunate. A lot of. Great black players, good black coaches have gone in and had to find other avenues, move to other countries yeah. to, to try to get an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, Jason Roberts is with CONCACAF as uh, a technical right. director right now. Um, Sol Campbell's just got the South End job, which he's basically yeah. had to beg for. And mm-hmm. This is an England international, stellar player. Yeah. Chris Hewton's sitting there waiting. Chris waiting. So I don't think it's openly racism, but it's certainly systematic. Yeah, listen, I think that what happens with football, that you know, if you look at who owned the club and who sits on the board of these clubs, that that's going to have a bearing on it. I think that historically there have not been lots of black coaches that have been that have done well. So that doesn't act as an inspiration for those next set of players coming through because they just don't see it as a viable career path and that's something like I said at some point you have to change so one person gets a job and then someone else will look and go right I might not make it as a player but I might make it as a coach but if there aren't any coaches no one's going to look at that so when you look you know one of England's greatest goal scorers Andy Cole he's working as a goal scoring coach at South End with Sol Campbell why is Andy Cole not working with England Mm. for instance Mm-hmm. Right. He knows where the onion is as as well as as well as any. All right, Les Ferdinand is sitting on the board at, at, at QPR, Danny's old club. So, you know, he's in a position of power and influence. That's another part of it where can we get more black people in governance in a position of power and influence, sitting on more boards where they can champion other managers and other good managers. So we can get, you know, why is Sol Campbell not getting a, a job in the Premier League or at least in the championship? 
Yeah, yeah, valid point. So, Spoonie, you're almost out of time here. Uh, let, let's switch gears to end it up here. You mentioned before how the, 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 the DJ culture, the club culture back in the day was great within football uh, in, in London. Yeah. Is it still alive and well, or has it really changed, do you think, over the years? It's changed a little bit now. Um, too many cameras. Football is not yeah. Like, yeah, fair yeah. enough, though, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, the music that, that I love and play um, is very different to what a lot of the young players are listening to at the moment it's a different vibe you know it's champagne it's bottles of drink with sparklers in it i only saw sparklers <laughs> on november the 5th I'm not used to it. spoons i mean you've got a lot of stuff going on at the moment Do you just want to give us a heads up i know uh, my, my sister's been to one of your your new concerts where you're doing the garage classical uh, theme which yeah. is really really good you've got an album coming out as well i think over christmas oh, but i just want to say like how well you've done since like we, we were on pirate radio station seeing you and the dream team together Mike, Mikey no it wasn't corrupt FM it was a lot more <laughs> professional than that <laughs> but um, it, it gives me a, a nice warm feeling the way you've gone with your career not only with football with your music as well producing and uh, a lot of the other guys that are still doing well and, and, and seeing you put this concert on now is fantastic for the old school of, of the garage nation as well yeah, brilliant, Dan, man. It's, I'd love you to come. I mean, we did, we sold out the Royal Albert Hall um, in, in October, which was phenomenal to think, you know, we were doing gigs and events for 150 people and now we're yeah. selling out one of the finest music venues in the world. So, you know, that that's, that's testament to UK Garage. We always believed in it. We always loved it as a genre. And here we are over 20 years later still doing our thing. But, you know, next challenge, see if we could get it on the road, see if we can... Uh, get it in Canada. We're doing Kew Gardens, the Royal Botanic Gardens with Kew nice. in, uh, ne- ne- next summer as well. So our first kind of outside festival. So yeah, everything's 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 good here. And obviously doing the uh, Premier League TV, which I'm I'm going to be on here in about seven and a half minutes. My producer's giving me daggers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go. Then, we'll let you we'll go. Let you go. Thanks but... again for coming on, Spoons. Really yeah, good speaking to you. Claire much. says hi as well. Uh, send my love. Give her a kiss. And yep, uh, we'll just do. before I go, guys, just want to say. You'll never walk alone. You know, no, you know. Thanks so much, mate. Really appreciate that. We'll, we'll chat to you soon and uh, have a good fan zone today. See you later. That is Be DJ good. Spoonie. Great chat. And uh, just just Google DJ Spoonie. Get on Twitter. Follow him at DJ Spoonie on Twitter. Find out what he's doing. And uh, you know what, fellas? I'm thinking. Uh, just you mentioned their pirate radio. Mm. How hard could that be, Dan, to, to start our own pirate radio station and just do like 24 hour seven, this kind of chat? Maybe a couple of scar sets from Deech? Oh, Why not? It's pretty tough. I mean, back in my younger days, we had to sort the aerial out because you had to go and put an aerial on top of a, a block of flats that was well away from where your studio was. And that was pretty risky back in the day in London yeah. because. First of all, the weather wasn't good. If, but if also... you're not sure what we mean, like, check out, uh, there's a show called People Just Do Nothing. Yeah, it's on Netflix, I think, right? Yeah. I think it's Netflix. Big show in England, it's actually. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant about this this pirate radio station. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, having never been involved in, in pirate radio or garage music, Deech does tell me, though, that that's pretty much bang how Very it was. Similar, yeah. There Very was similar. a lot of pirate radio back in the day. In radio the day, Caroline yeah. was the first that's one, right. wasn't it? Hanging off the coast there a couple hundred that's miles. That's right, in a boat. In a boat. <laughs> There's a great movie actually about that, and I forget what it's called now about the Radio Caroline era. What's that called? How did anyway, that? How did that all fall? How, how did it all <laughs> fall apart? It is. It's called Pirate Radio. <laughs> how did that all fall apart? Like, what, what did they? They got a hole in the hole. They got a no, hole in the boat. <laughs> got pretty windy there on the south coast. <laughs> but I wonder. I mean, they were obviously shut down by the authorities, right? Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. With Pirate Radio, you have to continue to move because you basically have the antenna or aerial that is supplying um, the, the radio the frequency to a small area within that part of London or wherever it is in Manchester, Birmingham. But the police can locate that antenna or aerial over a two, three-week period. So you have to continue to move, plus your studio as well where your DJs are coming in every two hours, three hours, and they go 24-7 as well. So it was a great way of developing as a DJ, but getting your your sets, your DJ sets, your music that you liked as well, out to the public to see if you were liked, to see if you started to gain a following and as well. But it was just a, a, a real vibrant kind of environment for, for us all to listen to the new music coming out before we used to go out at the weekend and just to socialize and 
you know, stay out of trouble. It's amazing. So, so when, how would you balance that with your training and your games? I was young back in. I was like 14, 15, 16 when I started. Okay, so it's before you were a pro. Pirate, before I was would the clubs pro, yeah. have um, looked down upon you if they found out that you were a, a pirate radio DJ? If you continued no, it during your playing career, I don't think so. I, no. I, I stopped by then anyway. I was more legitimate by then. <laughs> well, we are. Some, yeah. we, they don't care unless you. If you show up and you do the business, you, that's all they care about, right? Yeah, that's all they care yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I, I love that era of uh, of radio. I remember back in growing up, my little transistor radio under the covers. <laughs> Not listening to the DJ, DJ here, but um, <laughs> whoever it was. With your big various, antenna, your area oh, yeah. you had to pull up. Way up there, yeah. <laughs> uh, Rod Lucas was a guy I used to listen to. He was fantastic. That's though, that's more mainstream. That was Invicta Radio. Remember Victor Radio? Invicta Radio. Yeah, that's in the south, in the Kent. It's fantastic. I always get these calls from like the, pr- the local prison at... Um, <laughs> Where was it again? Hey, yeah, it's, it's Bob from uh, wherever it was. Can you play this for me, Rod? From Belmarsh. Belmarsh. There's <laughs> <laughs> Timpy in the, in the Actually, in the, uh, from the prison? And, yeah. All and time. you had to play it then because yeah. you didn't know when he was getting out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rod, you really should be playing this, mate. They only get one call a day as well. <laughs> but maybe in the new year we'll, we'll get each spinning some tracks at a, a, a night one. Yeah, that'll be nice. One evening we'll do that. Eh? That'd be a lot of fun. All right, back to the football talk here, show. Mm. And I mentioned emotion being kind of the theme today and I Big Duncan Ferguson, who, who took the helm of his his beloved Everton, and they smashed Chelsea three one, showing that the new manager bump is alive and well. But you know, Craig, you know, analytics today we understand. I think it's an important part of the game, but it's not everything. There's a balance in there. Mm. Like anything, you have extremists, those that love it, those that hate it. Mm. Somewhere in the middle, we, we we can meet. But the fact is, emotion and heart. And desire still has a massive role to play in in sport, mm-hmm. and we shouldn't dismiss that. And for whatever reason, how they beat Chelsea, we can discuss that. But Goodison Park was alive this weekend, yeah. And and that team were inspired for Big Dunk. Yeah, they were. And you, you look across uh, Stanley Park at Klopp, um, and we talk about emotion and what that does. And you look at the little little edges that you need to get to be successful. And I think he brings that extra little bit um uh, i think silva was really a counter opposite to him he was very quiet at everton i think the fans are looking for more than that because they see what's going on at liverpool so emotion is a big part of it and it certainly transcends to the team and the the players will feed off that uh, energy as well eventually as well you have to know what you're doing as far as setting up your side and everything in motion won't carry you all that way you have to be very tactically astute but it's certainly a massive part of it and you look at the type of manager the Klopp is and you know he, I would love to have played under him did yeah. we see player power came out come out again this weekend with Everton as far as they, they forced Silver out forced Silver out but also yeah. turned up to play against a Chelsea team who have been performing pretty well lately mm-hmm. but you, you go back to Duncan Ferguson and you're right Goodison Park was rocking this weekend and I think it's exactly the response what the whole club needed whether Dunk's going to take over full time or not I think it was such a massive game for him. I mean, I was reading a story today that um, Howard Kendall's widow, widow gave him Howard Kendall's old watch that he used to wear during the game. Wow. So he was wearing that. <laughs> On the other arm, Big Dunk was wearing a sweatband that he probably elbowed you with, Craig, back yeah. in the day from his playing <laughs> career. And just the, the overall emotion that he was showing on the sideline, picking up ball boys, throwing them around, cuddling them bringing in two or three of the younger players that he's obviously worked with out of training time. Davis was good. Calvert-Lewin scored a couple of goals. And for me, that's what Everton Football Club is about. They're a big community club. It's a stadium that's very close. Uh, the, the stands are very close to the, the, yeah, the pitch. A great stadium. you know, And they make it difficult for away teams. And I think Everton kind of veered away from that. But now, mm-hmm. with Big Dunk in charge, whether they give it to him long-term, maybe just give it to him for the short-term to get them the response they need. I don't think there's no rush for Everton at the moment. I think better managers and coaches are going to be available in the summer. So if he can just lead them to a little bit of safety, maybe into that middle of the group, and it's going to be tough away mm-hmm. from home. But he's been coaching, he's been assisting for the last four or five coaches that Everton have had now. So he's probably got his own ideas. He's not... He's not a rookie going into a, a club or onto the training field where he's kind of thinking, what do I do next? He's been there. He's been around it. It's just whether he has a support staff around him now and the owners actually trust him with the millions that have been spent in the summer 
to take Everton away from the relegation scrap that they're in and move them up towards the table and then see, uh, address it in the summer. But for now, I think that, you know, Duncan, if he walks in that dressing room, he's holding those players accountable, Yep. Um, expecting a certain amount of effort. That goes without saying. And when Big Duncan walked on the pitch when he was a player... Yeah, there was an aura that, about it. There right? was, yeah. and the stadium reacted to that as well, just walking on the field. Yeah. And he brings that, for sure. Well, like as, as an opposing goalkeeper, as an opposing player, I mean, I'm assuming he was brought up in the, in the pre-match meetings and, and video sessions, um, but mm-hmm. how did it make you feel when you knew that you're going to be facing a guy like that? I mean, you're, you're a big fella, you could handle mm-hmm. yourself, but I mean, he was one of the greatest... I hate to use the term power forward. That's a, that's a hockey term. I know that, but that's what yeah. he was. Yeah. No, Tar- I target man. Tar- target, yeah, target man. man. I guess the most nice way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> How it would go in our dressing room when you're playing against somebody like that would be you as a goalkeeper come and collect everything, come and you yeah. know get over top of them, and we'll back you up around you know. So they expected an awful lot, obviously. Um, but uh, he was, yeah, he was a fierce player to play against. Someone well, that you must have looked up to. Deech. Yeah, well, the, the <laughs> tactics when you're playing against a player like that is to stop the distribution into him. So from wide areas, don't let them have easy crosses. Mm. Don't, don't give away don't set Don't give away pieces. set pieces. Yeah. From the back as well, don't let defenders have time to, to just drop that ball into him because it's a, it's a tussle for your defender to now be 1v1 with him. So that was the tactical side of things. But the other side was the mental approach because you had to have strong defenders or goalkeepers as well, to deal with the barrage of long balls, direct balls that were coming into the box. Very similar to playing against Andy Carroll. Um, Mm -hmm. Danny Dicchio. Danny Dicchio. Croucher wouldn't say too much because he was very good with his feet, but those old school kind of target players were very, very efficient back in the day because of the the way the teams played around them. And we saw, you know, just I know it's, it's one game, right? So let's just take a bit of a breath here. Who knows how it turns out at Everton? But we saw just in the one game how they did throw more balls into the box. Mm-hmm. They were more direct than we saw under Silva, and it obviously paid off. But that style of football, I mean, listen, tactics to me are are very secular. They, they come and they go. Right now, we know what it is: play out from the back, possession, you know, tic tac toe, essentially. Um, do you ever see a day when they the four four two the the direct football becomes back in vogue, or is that a thing of the past now? I hope it's a thing of the past. I think it's a much better game to watch now, much more entertaining. Pitches are great. They're like carpets. The players have the ability to play out of the back, most of them. We do see a lot, which is, I like to see statistically, Deech, you know, uh, playing out of the back. Some of the teams, I'm not sure they're as capable as others, and Mm. they cough it up. And on the weekend, I can't remember, there's been a few occasions where giving the ball up in bad areas, um, I think Bournemouth against Liverpool a couple of times, um, that it has cost them. And I just wonder sometimes if uh, playing a little more direct for some of these teams would be a better idea, but everybody's into that. But the long ball direct football that we saw in the 80s, uh, you know, and the likes of Cambridge United. Wimbledon. Wimbledon especially. Mm. Uh, but you can't six- do both, right? Can, can you not do both? You can you have that in your toolbox. If you've got to pull mm-hmm. it out, you can do it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's no. part of the game plan. Like, there's no correct way to play for 90 minutes. You have to adjust. What we call it, if it's not X, it's Y. You have to adjust to the opponents, and the opponents have to adjust to you. If you're a team that plays direct, then the opponents are just going to drop off and surround your target man or the players that you're trying to drop balls into or feed off a second balls so then you have to start Mm. playing a little bit of a shorter game and trying to draw the opponents out it might be that you have a Vardy up top and you're trying to draw the opponents out to push their line up a little bit higher and then you can play a little bit more direct Mm. into the flanks or into the space so for me there is no correct way that's part of the week's plan leading up to the game where you're going over certain objectives. If the game starts to turn around like this, then we have to adjust. And that's all part of football. Like, as I said. And playing to your strengths. Playing to your strengths as well. Like, you, you could you have, have a small striker where you can't be dinging balls into the box or crosses. That's how teams defended Barcelona for a long, long period. They said, okay, we're going to really congest the middle area and we're going to give you the flanks so that you put a lot of crosses in, but you have Messi up top or Suarez who mm-hmm. are not very good in the air and we'll deal with it. By the way, did you see uh, the Suarez goal oh, this weekend? Unbelievable. <laughs> Outrageous. You have to see this. You haven't it's, seen it. Just, just Google it. <laughs> we talk about Son's goal, which could be which, the yeah, goal we'll of the year that. in the Premier League. Oh. But Suarez's back heel goal was something I've never, ever seen before. 
And people were saying he was trying a combination. He was trying to play the ball back no. to whoever play, was it Messi who played the combination. Uh, the combination was no ridiculous. chance at all. He's actually bounced the ball with his back heel into the ground, into the ground, yeah. and it's gone into the far. I court. just saw he's done it before um, earlier in his Barca career, but not quite to the same dramatic extent because it was it was closer in. But he yeah. knew what he was doing. Yeah. It was just. So ostentatious. That, I mean, who would even try that? There's only going to be a handful of players who would try that in the world. Yeah, and it, it took was, the shine yeah. off for Messi's uh, hat-trick as yeah, well. exactly, which wasn't bad either. Yeah. No. What was that, his 35th or something, hat-trick? 35th hat-trick. He broke Ronaldo's uh, <laughs> record. <laughs> bad week for Ronaldo. Yeah. Lose yeah. Ballonda or and your hat-trick record, yeah. and he's got to be crying I was wondering, what does he, what does he do with all the balls? Because he take, you know, you get a hat-trick, he's, he's, got room he's, for he's them. walking off with a ball. One for each bathroom in his <laughs> mansion. <laughs> Oh, wrong. There's some great goals though, this weekend. You mentioned Son. You oh. sent me a text. Uh, I wasn't wasn't watching the game. I was doing something else, and um, you said, "Have you seen the Son goal?" And I quickly checked out. Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that turn of pace. He like, hits that fifth gear, boom, and he's gone through about ten players. And people were talking yeah. about the bad defending from Burnley. Oh, come on, the bad defend. Okay, there was a couple of sure. situations where they could have brought him down or. People lunging in, but they to run from your own 18-yard box, your own penalty box, all the way to the opposite end, and then to show the composure to finish with a sublime finish as well. Yeah. Please don't take her away from some because that was an amazing goal. It's it's difficult to run box to box without the ball, but to run <laughs> yeah, box yeah. to box with, with the, ball. the ball is fantastic. I think, the, was a really was, good goal. I think it was Andy Townsend who was doing the commentary, the color for that game, and he, he nailed it. I thought when and he, as a good player as he was, it nailed it when he said when he broke into the box, that's when he needed to calm down. Yeah, because he's run all that distance, done the hard work, but you need to calm down. Not get flustered, and he did that brilliantly well. It was uh, it He's was running something. On fumes I mean, all the goals well. for Spurs were nice. Actually, they were very good goals. Very yeah. good Kane goals. scored a lovely goal into the roof oh, of the net as did well. He ever, mm. yeah. my, my favorite play this weekend though was the uh, the Wolves. The, I think the last Jota goal because the the, uh, the pass across by Jimenez with yep. the outside of his foot. Yeah, and I mean, it's a simple play on paper, but, but it's, it's very not difficult. Simple. And it, I love that and. They're playing well now as well. So. They play some mm. nice stuff, Wolves. Really, really, do. really good weekend. But going of back to Spurs, interesting that Jose Mourinho, under him, they've scored, I think, 18-plus goals now. It's the new Jose. Four or five games that they've, they've played in. Has he changed? I don't think he's changed much from, from Pochettino's reign there. He's added a couple of pieces. He's playing Dyer a lot more in midfield, he retrusts. But I just would like to see whether he stays with the same game plan in the Champions League. Because he knows the Champions League very well. He's mm-hmm. won it. And his teams play a lot more defensive, a lot more kind of rigid in the Champions League. So I just would like to see whether he plays with the same mm-hmm. intensity going forwards as they do in the Premier League because they've been looking very, very good. And they were unlucky, I, th- I thought, against Man United midweek as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say, I hate to admit it, but it's good to see him back, isn't it, Jose? Yeah, he's, he's a big character to the Premier League. And- yeah. You know, any great man can evolve and change, you know, and maybe he has. We're, We're gonna still find waiting out. for you to do that, Shams. I don't evolve. I'm not a great man. <laughs> you should know that by now. Pies. <laughs> pies. Your pies are evolving. <laughs> They're evolving, yeah. yeah. Um, before we go, quickly, we mentioned earlier the Man United City game, of course. Yeah. Um, United are kind of like the new Leicester, aren't they, in that they love not having the ball, and as long as they have a chance to attack on the break, they're going to be pretty good, but it's going to be against those those teams that plug it up and sit deeper that they have issues. But that being said, pretty impressive performance, wasn't it, overall? I thought it was. They, they showed a great, you're talking about emotion, it was great, uh, it was a different level. And uh, and you have to sort of, you know, have to credit uh, Solskjaer as well that, you know, he has a plan, he has uh, an idea, an ideology of football that he wants to install in this team. And I think that it's slowly getting there. I mean, they're obviously not close and they need some, pieces for sure but it was better from them uh, the players responded and uh, there's some good signs happening at United at the moment there were some dodgy decisions as well that Man City weren't happy with the last one was clearly a handball yeah the one but before it, wasn't though but again I we're think. going back to the rule the new rule which I've, I've specified on here before if your player is going down and his arm is extending to, to brace his fall then it's not a handball and that was the clear decision from the referee. I think it was just before halftime yeah, that Pep yeah. Guardiola was yeah, so irritated about. A year ago, that's a handball. That's given us a penalty mm-hmm. kick. 
But because this is the new rule in play, if the player is diving down to block a ball and he's bracing his fall with his uh, trailing arm, then it's not a handball. And I, I felt a little bit sorry for them, but it was the correct call on the day. Manchester United were very organised. I give them that. As you said, in their block, um, they were very, very efficient on the counter as well with Rashford, who showed his pace against They're so quick on that two break. defenders that are not the quickest. Stones, Otamendi, who came on as well. But I just thought it was a good performance. And maybe they are slowly turning the corner because they got a good result at home against Spurs which was a difficult game for Ole. Give Jose a little pat on the head at the end of the game because there was a little <laughs> bit of uh, comments that uh, I don't think he liked prior to the game and after Jose departed Manchester United. But I, I really feel that this is a, an important period now for Manchester United. It's important for all clubs going into the Christmas festive period. But for Manchester United, this is a really important period for them to see as a group how far they can go this year. Are they going to go far in Europe? I think they've qualified from their group already, but can they compete and get into a top four spot? I really don't feel that Chelsea are a top four team, guys. I've watched them a couple of times now. I think Lampard's had... Defensively is the issue, do you think? More def- than but they were just so poor against Everton. I just mm-hmm. feel that maybe they need some introduction of players. Their, their ban's been lifted, I think, in January, so yeah. maybe they're going to go out and get some players. But I just feel that this team this year is a Europa League team. They're going to get into the Europa Leagues at a stretch. Mm. Were you guys able to enjoy Christmas when you played? I mean, no. obviously it's hectic. Oh. No. So, so Christmas itself, I mean, the games, obviously we understand the grind, <clears> but <throat> the, the family time, the actual Christmas itself, no? No. No. No, brutal. Was it worse than actually yeah. working in the broadcast uh, industry it's during opposite, Christmas? It's opposite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pretty crappy as well. Opposite of now, we used to look forward to early parts of January where we could sort of Take a, yeah, to breathe, yeah, <laughs> take a step backwards. But as far as the Christmas period so every goes, day you're either training or playing, essentially? Is that what it felt oh, yeah, like? every yeah. day, yeah. And in the hotel on Christmas Day, whether you're home or away, I we were anyway most of the time. Mm-hmm. And you could hear all the Christmas parties going on in the hotel. I was like, what? yeah, what are we doing? I, I actually thought we you should have been better. You didn't sneak out, come tell me you snuck out a couple of times. No, when you're playing on Boxing Day. No. No, you're a goalkeeper. At you one can. o'clock. What? <laughs> I tell ya, you, I, wear the beer goggles. And never, go. ever, <laughs> never, ever did I go out. Um, if there was a game on Saturday, a Thursday or Friday night before a game in 18 years, never, ever, except for once. And which game was that? Well, we'll have to talk to him because we're going to get him on here. Don Hutchison was playing for Sunderland at the time, and I decided there was, there was a party going on. At, and I thought, all right, I, I'm going to be on the bench, West Ham against Sunderland. Shaq is starting. I'm going to, I'm 35 now, and I'm thinking, <laughs> no chance I'm going to be playing. So, halftime, I could see that Shaq is struggling a little bit, and he's on the treatment bench, and he's like, "Big fella, I, I can't. I don't think I can keep going." And I'm just like, "You're going to have to play a second half." I'm, I said to Shaq, I ran to, leaned over him, and I whispered in his ear, "Shaka, I went out last night. There's no." F- <laughs> fucking chance <laughs> I can play and he's like sorry big man so alright remember Les Seeley was a hit goalkeeper Les coach. So Les grab my gloves let's go get warmed up at halftime and anyway I remember the free kick that Don hit and it was coming around the wall and I saw three balls and I, <laughs> I, I picked one of them and it was the wrong one. Oh no and I just really? scooped it right in the top of the net <laughs> and we finished we were losing 1-0 at half I think it was 2-0 final but it was, uh, yeah. Was, was, was the night out worth it, though? No. Can't it wasn't, eh? Can't no, remember it. I can't remember it. All, <laughs> the re- all I remember is Don hitting the, one, hitting the shot. Someone must have told him you were out the night before as well. Like, Maybe he was out. Shaka, Shaka, yeah, yeah. I was giving Shaka a massage. I was like, Shaka, you're going gonna to be okay. You're going to be okay. <laughs> no, man. Can't no, yeah, no yeah. chance. No chance, man. You but, call yourself a professional. <laughs> but going back to Christmas, Shams, it, it, was, it was a very testing time for a lot of players. It was interesting, though, two weeks prior to the festive period where you actually saw a lot of players pick up unnecessary yellow cards. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a real thing, is it? Because you always oh, hear the yeah. stories, but that's a real thing. Through, uh, through either arguing with a referee or telling him some yeah. unfamily language it, or it, taking five, a reckless challenge. Five yellows, you get a yeah. suspension, zero, you know the numbers he coming. He was already on three or four bookings for the year and then yeah. 
you kind of worked it out where your fifth booking would lead you. Whether it, would it be Boxing Day or New Year's Day? New Year's Day was the the cream of the crop, really, yeah. where most guys tried to get off. But going back to Christmas, having a young family, it was it was a tough time because you would always train on Christmas morning, regardless of whether you were playing away or not. If you were playing at home, uh, most coaches would let you stay with your family in the morning, open Christmas presents and stuff, and then you would have to leave and join the team for Christmas dinner at the hotel. If you were playing away, more often than not, you were basically training and then on the road. Um, And then you would obviously have a game on the 27th or 28th as well, so that was tough if you were away again, and then leading up to New Year's Day. So having a young family was difficult at times, and I have to say I respect my, my kids a lot, especially my older two where I missed out a lot over Christmas, um, but they understood that daddy had to be away and that was my profession. And those were the the things you had to deal with. Um, It was a fantastic time to be a supporter. And I remember being a supporter myself back in the day. Loved the Christmas games, loved traveling, watching QPR, but being a player, not so nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you buy your way out of it with the missus and the kids? Like, you know, I I can't, I won't be around this Christmas, so here's a car. No. Here's a new house. No, nothing, can, nothing no? can buy time. Nothing can buy time with your family. I don't care what. Oh, that's nice, isn't present. it? Here they, they see, that's the softer side of Deech. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> family yeah. man. It's true, though. It's yeah. true. It is true. He's got I mean, a heart. He's I mean, actually got a heart. I mean, the last Tin number man. of years, uh, you know, covering the Premier League for TV, right? I mean, often you are working Boxing Day at six in the morning, right? And, yeah, and that's, that's going to throw a, throw a loop into your Christmas plans. Well, being hung over on TV, you can do it. I must admit, you know, there was a few times early in my career that I did it, and, and I soon learned that it ain't worth it. I cannot do it. You know, as it is, mm. I have difficulty speaking, let alone when I'm hungover. <laughs> so I stop. But there are a few sessions early on, back at the score, especially Brian Bard, man. He's a bad man, Budgie was. <laughs> I remember one, one show, Sports World, I opened it up saying, welcome to the morning after the night before. And I was <laughs> just a mess. And Budgie, I said, Budgie, this is all you go. Yeah. He just talked about half an hour. And he was I, fine. I, he was fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No problem at all. But yeah, yeah the more I... Age and hangovers don't mix. It's no. as simple as that. They're just not worth it. I had a rough one this weekend. Yeah. Didn't even think it was that bad until Sunday morning. Then I realized that I cannot do this anymore. It's a sign, Sean. It's, not, it's a definitely a, a sign. sign. Jesus. Especially when you're mixing drinks like you do. I, I can't have vodka I'm, I'm and brandy usually, no, no I'm usually a beer and wine guy, but for some reason this weekend it was beer and wine and a little bit of champagne and G&Ts and this horrible, sickly... Cherry vodka thing. Schoolboy era, Sham. Schoolboy era. Oh, it is. It really was. <laughs> anyway, fellas, I think we're out of time. Anything really? Else, anything else you want quick. to get to? Anything else? You're welcome to get to something oh, else. Oh, there's a big thing that came out today, actually, about Russia. Did you see mm. it this morning? Oh, I just saw that. Yes, yeah, before we talking there. about federations. Four-year yeah. ban for Four Russian teams. So I didn't expect out. that in football. That's, uh, that's yeah. an interesting one, yeah. Good. Good. I mean, yeah. I feel bad for the clean Russian football players, but... It's a systemic thing. You've got to just crush yeah. the country in this case to get change, right? Yeah. So it's, it's unfair. Innocence will be affected. But yeah. look at the uh, the authorities there and blame them. Mm-hmm. Simple as well, that. Well, they've said that if athletes want to prove that they are clean, they can compete under um, neutral flag, whatever that means, in the yeah. Olympics. So if you win Did your race. Did last time, right? They had that last time. Yeah. yeah. But I just want to know whether the Russian football team can do that as well because they're in the, the Euros this summer. Mm-hmm. They've qualified. I think it's really qualified. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and then they're out of the World Cup as well. Well, this thing's going to go to are they out of Euro? Of courts, right? I'm not sure. I think it's just 22, isn't it? The they World said Cup? the World Cup. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's Euro or not. Yeah, it's just breaking. Literally uh, before we we came on today, we we, we saw it. So mm-hmm. big changes afoot, and it's good to see uh, water with some some heavy heavy bands here because yeah. you got to change it. It's, it's just Has ludicrous. Yeah. It's ludicrous. Uh, thank God they don't test us, eh? <laughs> Clean as a whistle. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, we'll be back uh, same time next week. Our thanks to DJ Spoonie. Follow Yum. DJ Spoonie on Twitter, at DJ Spoonie. Uh, it's a really good chat. Please follow us on Twitter, footy underscore prime. Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. It is footy prime, the podcast. Email us at any time. Footy Prime Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, our thanks to deanblundell.com, also our home. And Craig and I will be on Dean's uh, podcast on Tuesday. Looking forward to that. Uh, mm-hmm. God knows where that'll go. Yeah. Usually goes off the rails, but it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks to Dan Wong and Dev behind the glass and Eggplant Pictures and Sound for providing 
uh, little stable of microphones and stuff here. Hope you enjoyed it, everyone. Cheers for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.